Dave Hart is a scientist turned entrepreneur who sold his first company at the age of 30. Growing up the, the son of two teenage parents who were both drug addicts and abusive and absent. And I had seen, you know, my, my father in real life, I had seen him have sex with prostitutes, smoke crack. Um, I'd seen tons of violence. I saw my grandmother accidentally shoot herself and just a really crazy way to grow up as a little kid until about uh, seventh grade, which was the turning point for me. And he hosts Free Mind Podcast and is launching his latest project, Whole Man Initiative, an online community for men who want to be at the top of their game in all areas in life. I had to build so much armor as a kid and be reliant on myself that I've carried that over into adulthood to a detriment sometimes. Dave is an outspoken advocate for the power of personal excellence and hard work as an antidote to societal collapse, especially for young men. I had ignored his calls for a decade at this point. I had ignored the guy. And now I'm standing here in a hospital, hospital room looking at him unconscious on life support knowing that he'll never be conscious again. And by the way, I have to be the one to say, pull the plug, essentially kill my dad. Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. So Dave, you've become a man of great success in your life. And I firmly believe that great success comes from a level of, of deep, deep pain. So I'm very interested to know what that turning point was for you, what that pain point was for you that began to change your course in life to bring you to the point you're at today? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Um, first off, I have to apologize to your listeners for my nasally sound. I'm dealing with a head cold. So uh, sorry about that, folks. But for me, you, you know, it's often difficult in life to pinpoint singular events that were turning points. But for this question, actually, for me, there was a quite pivotal event in my life. And uh, before I describe that, in general, I would say that um, growing up the the son of two teenage parents who were both drug addicts and abusive and absent, and uh, we were homeless, and then we lived in uh, I, in your neck of the woods. I'm sure you have trailer parks or something similar, but you know it was either living in a trailer park or not having anywhere to live and bouncing all around and just a really crazy way to grow up as a little kid until about uh, seventh grade, which was the turning point for me. And, you know, so up until that point, man, I had seen, you know, my, my father I, in real life, I had seen him have sex with prostitutes, smoke crack. Um, I had seen tons of violence. I saw my grandmother accidentally shoot herself, <laughs> my mom do drugs and, and just, I mean, terrible stuff to see as a kid, but, uh, and, and so in seventh grade, around that age, my my mom was extremely abusive physically. 
And there was a moment up until that time, Gavin, I had no self-confidence, man. I, I mean, I was just resigned to the reality that I had accepted, which was, this is your life. You are poor, white trash. Your parents do drugs. This is the card you were dealt. Deal with it. Take it. Be passive. Accept it. And uh, I'll never forget, I can close my eyes and picture the moment. My mother was on top of me, uh, beating me with closed fists, you know, punching me. And um, it was probably in response to something so insignificant as she often did. I mean, it didn't need to be anything crazy. I wasn't a bad kid by any stretch. You know, I just I probably had, uh, you know, said something that annoyed her and it, it set her off. And, you know, and I've had a lot of time to reflect on this, man. And uh, you're not in the right state of mind, right frame of mind as someone strung out on drugs. So, you know, I've reconciled that. But anyway, she's on top of me, beating me with closed fists. And up until that point, I had never, never fought back physically. Uh, and just something washed over me that said, you don't have to take this anymore, man. And uh, all kind of like all at once, I just yelled enough. I kicked her off of me. Uh, she went flying across the room and crashed into a bookshelf, much like the one behind me. And you may have heard the expression deer in headlights, wide eyed, just totally flabbergasted. That was her expression. She could not believe that I fought back. And the combination of those events, me finding within myself the power, her being completely taken aback and me realizing that she was completely taken aback, told me that I actually do have uh, the power within myself to dictate where I go in life. And that was as simple as it sounds, man. That was very profound for me. So that was the big turning point. That's when I moved out, left my mom's house. And then from there until uh, college, basically, or as y'all say, university, um, <laughs> I bounced around, lived with grandparents, aunts, uncles, just kind of made, made it work. And that was a turning point from there, right around that age as well. I discovered lifting weights and that um, combined with the newfound confidence I had in myself to dictate my destiny gave me confidence for the first time in my life. Here's something that has a directly proportionate result to my hard work. I can go in and do five sets of 12 reps. And those are my five sets of 12 reps. My mom can't take them from me and sell them for drugs, you know? And, and so it was this very pivotal, pivotal rather point in my life where I think also, you know, let, let's be honest, combined with going through puberty and everything else, it was this perfect storm of holy crap, man. And so I had this newfound excitement for life and life was now something I could make mine and determine where it went. Sorry, that was very long winded, but I hope that makes sense. That trying to make sense of it, yes, because it <laughs> sounds so significant. And having come from such a a broken foundation, and how you began to to uh, fill those gaps with your with your training, with your confidence, with with developing a sense of integrity and self and self respect for you, and. Yeah, bring bringing it back to that seven year old kid. You were seven when this happened. When you I kicked was your mom, se seventh grade. So I think I was uh, around 
gosh, man, I think like 13 or oh, so. Oh, so you were a little bit so, older. Yeah. 13, yeah. 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 Or, so. Early teenager. Yeah. Okay. So then you, you leave your, your mom's house and where do you go from there? To my grandmother's. Uh, she took me in basic. So the police came. My, so <laughs> my mother called the police on me for kicking her off me. Thankfully, she was a regular uh, in the law there in that area. So they knew all about her. They knew that it was me defending myself. That wasn't an issue. And they were so gracious or kind, I guess, as to pull me out that night. Because had I stayed in that house that night, it probably would have gotten really, really bad, right? And my grandmother uh, took me in. So I lived with her and my grandfather and uh, went to school uh, while I lived there, lived with aunts and uncles uh, at various points and just kind of, you know, they they all, it, they say it takes a village. I mean, I, I, I'm very, very thankful to have uh, extended family that stepped up to the plate to, to help me in that regard. So uh, from there, man, it was, it was just, uh, I finally had a somewhat stable home environment. And, and by that, I mean, even though I lived a few different places, I had, a place to sleep. <laughs> I had, uh, you know, a bedroom for the first time in my life. And it, it was finally this level of stability in one part of my life that allowed me to actually focus on the other part, which was academics, athletics. And so ended up uh, doing well in those areas, graduated high school, valedictorian, uh, first in my class, played three sports, went on to go to, to university with scholarships and um, studied biochemistry and genetics, and then uh, did my uh, graduate degree um, at at uh, UC Berkeley. I went for a PhD, quit after two years. Uh, I was studying comparative physiology and uh, decided academics weren't for me. So I didn't want to be a college professor. PhD didn't make sense at that point, right? So I left and they, they were kind enough to say, well, you've done two years, you've taught, you've published, you know, you've achieved a master's degree level of education. So, you know, thanks to them for that. But everybody thought I was crazy. I had a fully paid fellowship from the National Science Foundation to do my PhD. And it was, that was actually another pivotal moment where I had to say to myself, I'm not happy. This isn't for me. I have to quit. And my research advisor thought I was crazy. Everybody, I mean, ev all of my peers uh, who didn't get the National Science Foundation Fellowship thought I was insane for giving it up. And and so it was a really interesting point in my life because I learned that I couldn't continue doing, because to some extent, pursuing that aggressive route academically was a result of me rebelling against my childhood, which was sort of antithetical to all things formal education. I was the first one, you know, I, I mean, my mom didn't even finish high school. My dad dropped out in eighth grade. Like it was, and so it was interesting. I've reflected on this a lot. I'll, I'll try to be uh, succinct a little bit with this, but, you know, I think oftentimes kids rebel against their parents. And for me, because I try to approach things from a position of gratitude. Now I'm fortunate that what my parents represented was something bad because me rebelling against them was actually doing something good <laughs> as weird as that sounds, but I wanted to be the furthest thing from them. And so I thought that meant pursuing as much education as possible 
unfortunately at that point in my life, I hadn't had any sort of role models that represented entrepreneurship and that side of things. And that didn't develop until basically right towards the end of my undergraduate beginning of graduate school. And the more I was exposed to, gosh, at this time, man, it must've been Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, reading his, his first book, Crush It. And it, it opened my eyes to this whole world of entrepreneurship where uh, I hadn't previously been exposed to that. So that got the wheels turning on, on some uh, different ideas for what my future could be. Had to be honest with myself and say, I'm not happy with where I am, even though this is what I thought society wanted me to do. And that was the big lesson, right? Like no matter what you think you're quote supposed to do, what society wants you to do, what box society tries to put you in, if it's at odds with what you feel compelled to do, you have to stop, man. You have to stop. And so uh, that's that's why I ended up dropping out of my PhD. Um, do you sorry, feel these, a... do you, yeah, no, that's all relevant. And do you feel that you were sort of chasing an aspect of control in your life from a life that was very much, from what it seems, out of control for you? Yeah, absolutely. I was I was chasing control. I was also, and still am, ruthlessly competitive. I think I had a chip on my shoulder. I felt as though I had something to prove. And uh, I I mentioned biochemistry and, and genetics for my undergrad. I also did a degree in zoology. Um, so I was kind of just collecting degrees, right? Like just adding majors and uh, really sort of got to the point where I had to say, hold on a second, why are you doing all of this, right? Like I, I was just... I learned a lot about what I was capable of, you know, taking on all of that coursework while working. At one point, I had three jobs in my undergraduate because I just, you know, I had to piece together some sort of way to survive, right? And and um, sort of ran up against a wall physically and mentally. And, and it was second year of my PhD where I was like, dude, why are you doing all this? What what do you really want, right? What What makes you happy, not this superstructure that is society. And um, like I said, that combined with being exposed for the first time to the business world, entrepreneurship, et cetera, found me just sitting in my research advisor's office one day saying, Hey man, I know that I have this amazing fellowship. Everything's paid for. I, I was getting a very good salary from the national science foundation just to complete my degree. So I, I, I had it made man really had it made. And um, I just, uh, I had to walk away from it. And so after that, I was, this was uh, kind of, it, it's interesting. There are all these moments in our life, Gavin, where it's at the time, you think it's the worst thing ever, but then you get past it, you get to the horizon and then you can see further. And now you're reflecting back saying, how crazy was that? How funny is that, that I was at, in this situation? So after I dropped out, I we moved back. When I say we, I mean myself and my fiance at the time, my now wife, the love of my life, who I've been with for 16 years, who also is a huge anchor for me in a lot of ways. She and I moved back to the East Coast of the United States. We were in California on the West Coast. And um, I, I had no, I was overeducated, unemployed, no money. And we ended up staying at her parents' house. So that for me, as a man, it was like, 
just crushing, right? You, you know, you, you have to swallow your pride and say, Hey, I know you guys thought I was this great, smart guy, but guess what? I've dropped out of my PhD and, uh, I'm marrying your daughter. I have no job. I have no money. By the way, can I crash in your upstairs bedroom while I figure my life out? So that was an interesting period of time. And then, uh, it was so funny, man. I had this background in science, but I didn't want to be a scientist. And so I was like, what the hell can I do? Like, I want to do business. I have no business skills. So I'm looking through Craigslist. If people remember Craigslist is still around, but at that time it was widely used. This was like 2012. And it was like, it was written for me, man. It said, have a background in science, want to get into the business or corporate business world. And I'm like looking around, like is somebody listening to my thoughts here? Turned out it was scientific recruiting. So I did that. So I applied for that job, got that job, did that for almost a decade. And uh, I was recruiting scientists for chemical, pharmaceutical companies, et cetera. So it was a dream job for me, man. I was talking about science all day with scientists, not having to actually do science in the lab. So it was it was perfect. I excelled at it, did well. Um, started my first company right at, towards the end of that, which was a, a chain of bars and restaurants. Um, sold that and left the corporate gig after selling the company, leaving corporate America, et cetera. Now I've, I've sort of entered into the chapter of pursuing more things that really I'm passionate about. So uh, coaching others on fitness and nutrition and mindset. I, I've done quite a bit of that. I have my own podcast, which has been so much fun. The Free Mind podcast, just talking to interesting people about interesting things. And somehow I got roped into the culture war and politics and everything else when I spoke out against uh, the masks and vaccines from a scientific perspective. But anyway, that's, that's uh, bringing us to present day, essentially. Yes. Is there anything you would have changed in, in that process? Anything you would have yeah, done differently? That's a great question, man. I, I think about that a lot. And while I made a lot of bad decisions, as we do, nobody's perfect. I, nonetheless, I'm here now in this scenario uh, with a beautiful wife and daughter. And I'm very happy with my friends and, and uh, my life as it is. While there were some really tough moments I had to get through, now that I'm here, I wouldn't change a thing because I know those things made me who I am. So it, I can sit here and say, I wish I had had normal, well-adjusted parents and a nuclear household, but I don't know if that would have made me the fiercely competitive, resilient, self-sufficient uh, teenager that I ended up being, right? And And that certainly wouldn't have resulted in me pursuing the path I did in life. So I don't think so, man. I really wouldn't, you know. Those, uh, there's 13 years there of of what seems to be a lot of abuse and neglect mm. and, you know, 13 years of deep scarring, I'd imagine. Have you healed those scars? No, I have not completely. And there was a point at which I thought I had, uh, but I've realized through therapy, through a lot of uh, self-work and reading and and um, reflection that I still deal with a lot of things from that period of time. One of which is trust. I and and shielding my emotions and even to my wife, who I mentioned, we've been together essentially since we were children. We were eighteen. I'm thirty-five now, 
So this upcoming February, I think is 17 years together. Um, even to her, I've struggled to open up because I had to build so much armor as a kid and be reliant on myself that I've carried that over into adulthood to a detriment sometimes because being vulnerable to the people you love emotionally and sharing with them your innermost demons and reflecting on those together is hugely beneficial. And I always justified it to myself in the following manner. I love her. She's got enough going on. I don't want to burden her with my inner problems, right? But really, that was a cop-out, and it was just me retreating to uh, the same sorts of behaviors that I had to exhibit to survive as a kid. And I've only been able to discover that through therapy. And that's why I've started this whole man initiative in one of the reasons why I've started it. And that's to sort of push back against this false narrative that the intrinsic behaviors and traits that are associated with uh, masculinity and maleness are toxic. That's complete bullshit. And in fact, the people that are often labeled as toxic aren't exhibiting ma masculine traits at all. It's insecurity and all of these things. And, and so part of that message is that true being, and I hate this, this cliche, like alpha male term, I think it gets thrown around so much, but, you know, being uh, the best man, you can be a whole man, which is why I started calling my efforts, the whole man initiative includes opening up emotionally to the person you love, right? Includes being able to be uh, vulnerable to your, your children and to be soft with your children and then being able to turn around and viciously protect and defend them. Right. So um, it's been an, a process for me to realize that, and I'm still fighting that stuff, man. It's very tough for me to open up emotionally. I know it, it, it's weird when you talk about it as a podcast host and as someone who has a big following online, people are like, what, what are you talking about, man? You, you open up to millions of people. It's like, it's hard to describe, but it's still something I'm battling. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you, my man. So <laughs> I, I feel it too. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a, it's something we as men all battle in yeah. various capacities. And it, it just, it is that way. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that it pro in an evolutionary context, historically, it's probably been a trait that served us well in some contexts, right? I mean, stoicism is is still, I think, extremely useful and, and I advocate it in a lot of ways, but there are a time there's there are times and places and certain people with which you should share that stuff or it will eat you alive. Yeah, for sure. It's probably the fear that what you would share would maybe used against you mm. at some point. Absolutely. Which, which it probably had been done in the past. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. I uh I can remember I, I don't remember exactly how old I was. I want to say five or six. And this is another one of those moments where I can close my eyes and picture it perfectly. My mom, as I mentioned, was a, a drug addict. Her 
drug of choice was Oxycontin. So she hopped from doctor's office to doctor's office. She eventually went to prison for prescription forgery because she got caught. Um, but I remember as a five or six year old kid laying on my back in front of her car, trying to block her in from leaving to go get more drugs and sharing with her the fact that her addiction was uh, something that upset me and affected me in a negative way and her just not giving a shit at all telling me to get the hell out of the way and leaving and so moments like that are like okay well why do i even talk about how i feel right so it was those sorts of things where like you just said it was used against me and um it just it builds like a callus where eventually there are so many layers that build up and you you almost forget what it's like to open up about how you feel and to be honest about your emotions with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. That's, and then your daughter being born, mm -hmm. how did that change you as a man? I tell people often, hey, you're a father, right? You have two children, two kids. Yeah. Two. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, the good Lord willing, we'll, we'll have two this year. Um, but very good. I used to tell people, or I, rather, I tell people that I used to know or thought I knew what life was all about. Then I had a child, and then I really knew what life was all about. It taps into this primal aspect of your being that you otherwise, you you had never experienced up until that point, at least for me. It's an indescribable love, level of love. It's a different type of love. It is... I mean, it, it really is the reason we exist, essentially. And and even if you want to look at, at first principles and look at it from a biological context, right? It's to perpetuate our lineage into the future. And so there are all these mechanisms that are targeted at supporting that. And then when when you see your beautiful child enter this world, it's just this wave of emotion and fear. I mean, man, I tell you what, I, I think if most parents are honest, at least parents who are sort of, uh, up to date and informed on what's going on in the world, you have these feelings of, Oh my God, what have I done? I brought this person into this world. And, uh, but for me, it made me hyper vigilant about wanting to change the world for my daughter and wanting to change society in a positive way and wanting to work with young men because I don't like where this is going. I don't like how men have been demonized, how testosterone levels have been on rapid decline, how suicide rates have skyrocketed, how, I mean, you just go across the board and all the metrics, men are absolutely failing. And I'm like, well, my daughter one day is going to be looking for a man to be her partner in life. And this isn't acceptable. So there's that aspect to it, which which has made me very much more active on a community and societal level because of being a parent. But also just it, everything you do is really targeted at improving their lives or supporting them or, you know. And for me, man, it's like, <laughs> I look back and I'm like, how the hell did my parents be the way they were when I now feel the level of love I have for my child. Right. So it's all kinds of things that come with it, but 
Yeah, man. It's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that you try to describe to friends without kids and they it's, there's no point, right? It's like describing the color orange to someone who's been blind since birth. They just have not had that experience and it's really tough to put it in words. It's always hilarious to me when they're like, well, you know, I have a dog that I really love. I'm like, dude, just shut up. You don't even know. Like I, I've loved dogs too, but it's a different thing when you're looking at someone you created who shares half your DNA, who you are responsible for in every way. Right. It's, it's uh, indescribable. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's amazing. It changed everything, dude, everything, even this conversation and all the content I put out, I'm always thinking Carter's probably going to see this one day. Right. So mm -hmm. dude, it, it's, it changes it all. I hear you. Yes. And, and being a parent now, have you forgiven your own parents or is that a process or is, how, or how was that process? If you, if you have gone, gone through it? Yeah, man, I, it's a work in progress. I'll put it that way. So my father has since passed away and that story I shared actually on building men with Dennis Meralda, um, yes. fantastic guy and what he's doing. I love that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and I'll just share briefly kind of how that happened because I think there's an important lesson in that. I, my father was what we call a carny. Um, he traveled with the carnival and he, like I said, he did all kinds of drugs was, you know, wrapped up in that lifestyle. And so I didn't see him much in general, even when he was still quote in my life, when I was a kid, he came and went, he was there for a few weeks, few months, and then traveling with the carnival again. Um, when I graduated high school in 2005, he came to my graduation unexpectedly. He showed up and, um, you know, at that point I had sort of, he wasn't a part of my life, but I was like, okay, well, you know, I, I, I admire that he showed up at my graduation, but then disappeared again. And I mention all of this because at that point I decided I'm just, I'm just done with him. You know, I'm, I'm at the stage of my life where I am focused on building my life now. And a few years went by. I didn't hear a thing from him. I'm in college doing my thing and, and started to get phone calls from him that I ignored, 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 ignored years go by. I'm ignoring the calls. They would come, you know, once a quarter, or a couple times a year. And, uh, I'm now in that scientific recruiting job that I mentioned earlier. This is 10 years later, 2015. And I get a call from a hospital at my office at work. Is this Dave Hurt? Yeah, this is Dave. Uh, we have you as the oldest child to a Mr. Um, you know, said my dad's name. And I was like, yeah, that's correct. And they're like, he, we have him here at the hospital. He's on life support. We need you to come. And essentially to distill it all down, it was up to me to make the decision to pull the plug. And what had happened was that he, he was epileptic. He had grand mal seizures, just these awful seizures where when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, now I get why they believed in a demonic possession in the, in the middle ages. It's terrifying. And when you couple that with doing crack and all kinds of other stuff, it gets bad. Right. And so what happened is he had a, a seizure and he was fishing at the time on a dock. He had a seizure, fell in the water, drowned. Um, 
they found him face down in the water and they were able to resuscitate him enough to get his heart beating and get him on life support. But that was it. He, due to oxygen deprivation, his brain was gone. There was no brain activity. They said, if he's able to survive off life support, he'll be a vegetable guaranteed. Right. And remember I had ignored his calls for a decade at this point. I had ignored the guy and now I'm standing here in a hospital hospital room looking at him unconscious on life support, knowing that he'll never be conscious again. And by the way, I have to be the one to say, pull the plug, essentially kill my dad. Uh, so dude, I, I was there for days, just deliberating over it, crying, getting angry, just going through all these emotions. And then finally I had to decide to, to pull the plug. And so that for me was a huge lesson in holding grudges and regret. And, uh, you know, if I could go back, you asked earlier, if there's something I would, I would do differently that that's definitely something actually, now that I think about it, that I would do differently, I would have picked up the phone and talked to him. But, um, so that that's how that chapter ended with my dad and, and, you know, it was, it was, uh, awful to have to do that. So I always tell people, man, if there's someone, no matter, no matter what they did to you, if you think even in just like the smallest way you might regret never talking to them and, and having to go through a situation like I went through, just pick up the phone, just talk to them, man. And even if it's to bitch them out and tell you, how, tell them how you feel. Right. So my mom, um, it's just, uh, do you have an idea of what he might've said on that call? I'm, I'm sure he would have, uh, apologized for, you know, the way that, that things happened when I was a kid. I'm sure he would have tried to rekindle some sort of relationship with me now as a young adult. And, um, you know, I think that I probably would have, if I opened up that line of communication, I would have been able to forgive him and establish a relationship. And so I think that's the biggest part of my regret is knowing that, you know, he, he basically had to die knowing that his son hated him. And, uh, we all make mistakes, man. He made a lot of them. I, I don't think he's a bad person, right? I, I think that oftentimes it's easy for us to look at people and how they respond to environmental factors, different scenarios. Like I said, I, doing those types of drugs for that long at that magnitude, it's going to mess you up, right? And so, yeah, I, I think that in a lot of ways, both of them did some really bad stuff, especially the abuse stuff. Right. But, uh, I, I can still forgive them. And I've been, I've caught myself not obviously not to that degree. Right. But regretting certain things and, and do, doing things that, uh, you know, I'm like, why, why did I do that? That was dumb. That was a mistake. But, uh, but yeah, so I, th I think that's how it would have gone with him. And and obviously that just makes me regret it even more. Have you been able to forgive yourself then? That's a good question. I think I'm in the process of that. And I think in some way, uh, what I have to do is open up communication with my mom in order to get to that point. And, you know, just, just happened actually in the past few days, I, well, New Year's Day, her, my stepdad, her uh, partner, whatever, who 
I, I'm not close with either of them. He, I just found out he died suddenly of a heart attack unexpectedly. And so now she's, and she relied on him for everything. She's on oxygen. She has to go to a methadone clinic because for the, for the rest of her life, she needs some sort of opioid in her system because of how much she abused them, you know, as a young, a younger person. And and so it's this awful scenario where, you know, the guy who was taking care of her is now dead. And so we're working through that right now. And, um, we'll see where it goes, but, but yeah, man, it's, uh, definitely been a lesson in, in, uh, forgiveness and regret. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that you can sometimes approach your daughter from a place of trying to help her avoid the pain you went through in your own childhood? Absolutely. And I think that that can be good and bad. So, you know, one thing that I think is a, and I'm sure you deal with this as a parent as well. I truly believe that adversity builds us into who we are, right? I think that by far I've learned so much more from adversity and failure in my life than I have from successes. And, you know, my childhood made me who I am. Now my daughter, she's got an amazing childhood. She is just surrounded with love and she has anything she wants. And she's just, it's, it's a complete 180 from how I grew up. And that worries me a little bit because I'm like, okay, I now as a parent have to take it upon myself to weave adversity into this so that it can shape her into a resilient human. Right. And so that's the big challenge, man. But I, I deal with it all the time as, as someone who wants to give my kid a way better childhood than I have. I have to temper myself because I'll find myself being like, yeah, sure. You can have chocolate more, you know, whatever, sweetie. Cause I, I just love her so much and I don't want her to experience what I experienced. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have to realize that that level of coddling for a child can turn them into a soft adult. And um, so we're, you know, she does gymnastics. We're going to start jujitsu soon. I, you know, I'm very regimented with some aspects of her life, trying to build that in a little bit. And it, it's tough, man, because it's like, how do I, you know, as bad as it sounds, how do I avoid her becoming a spoiled shithead, right? She can have anything she wants, you know, and I'm sure you deal with that too. Yes, for sure. We don't want to raise entitled children either. Yeah. So exactly. That's a far more eloquent way to put it than what mm -hmm. I just said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, it makes complete sense. Huh? And uh, why is it that you're so passionate about masculinity? What What's the driving force behind that for you personally? Uh, because I'm a man and uh, it, it was a circuitous route for me in getting to a point where I personally embraced a lot of those aspects of masculinity and the very tenets of masculinity that are often demonized in culture today and by institutions, especially here in the States, like the education institutions, they are the things that pulled me out of the grips of poverty and adversity, right? Stoicism, self-reliance, hard work, all of these things that are you know, I, I put a video out probably a couple months ago now, 
where I talked about toxic masculinity and I went on Healthline, which is a somewhat reputable source for health-related information. And it described toxic masculinity as like self-reliance, stoicism, discipline, aggression, all the, and I'm like, every single one of those things made me successful in life. And that coupled with the fact that on a daily basis, Gavin, I hear from young men who feel crippled by this narrative, who feel castrated essentially by society in saying that these traditional aspects of masculinity, really who they feel compelled to be if they just behave naturally is frowned upon, right? It's a participation trophy, coddled, nerfed up, bubble wrapped world and aggressive type A young men. That's not the right world for them, man. And, and, and that's why we have in no small way, all of these mental health issues, all of these issues with, um, uh, I mean, all of these issues that we're dealing with, I'll put it that way. And so I'm, I'm very passionate about it because of that. And I hear almost daily from women, whether single or married who say, you know, the single ones, where are all the good men and the married ones? How do I get my husband to, he's depressed, he's anxious, he's miserable. What do I do? Right. And you can only take so much of hearing these same motifs over and over and over where you're like, okay, this is a problem. And, uh, that's essentially why, man, I, I, it's so necessary. And if you want to look at it from a more macro scale and put on a little bit of a tinfoil hat, if you want to weaken a society, I'm talking about the, obviously my perspective of being here in the States, the first demographic you should take out are ambitious young men, right? If you want a society that's controllable, if you are in a position where you can pull the levers such that you dictate the direction that a, a particular society goes in. You want to have control of that demographic because they're the ones who will present the most problems. People who are capable of free thought, who are individuals. And I mean that in the sense that they're not collectivists, right? They're self-reliant. They they believe that the the only entity they can depend on are themselves and God, if, if they believe in, in God, uh, that's who you need to go after. And, and so whether they've done it on purpose or, or not, if I designed the plot of a movie where there were evil powers that be that were trying to weaken Western society, uh, whether it's the world economic forum or, or China, I mean, there, there are lots of potential and I don't want to go too far down that road, but, uh, that's exactly what they would do. Exactly what has happened is exactly what would be done in order to weaken the society enough that you can control and manipulate them. And look, man, look what happened in 2020 through today with, you know, people just absolutely losing all aspect of rational thought because they were controlled by fear in the context of, of the pandemic. Right. And it's terrifying stuff to me, man. You yeah. know, I, I come from that scientific community, as I said, and we used to say 
this was like our slogan. I went to, to this summer program in the sciences called governor school when I was in high school. And we had t-shirts that said, accept nothing, question everything. I recently created a t-shirt because I have this little clothing business that sort of sprung up from fans of the podcast, wanting stuff on shirts, like the one I'm wearing here, where I, I put question everything on a shirt and I've gotten so much hate from people from that scientific community. I'm like, don't you remember when a central tenet of science was to be skeptical and question things? They've completely changed in that way. And now it's like, you can't question anything. You have to accept the narrative. And these are people who, I mean, they were top-notch people in their fields. They're now, they now have PhDs. They're in either postdocs or professorships. And I have had conversations with people who say to me, please don't expose my name or anything, but I believe X, Y, and Z essentially lining up with where my beliefs fall on all this stuff was, which is essentially masks are ineffective at mitigating community spread of, of, um, respiratory viruses, which has been long known. Uh, these vaccines aren't truly vaccines because they, they're not sterilizing vaccines. And in fact, you're imposing, um, adaptive pressures on the virus that are going to create variants that are worse to deal with, which is exactly what happened, et cetera, et cetera. They would agree with me in private and then say, I can't say it publicly because the NIH and the NSF fund my research, right? So this kind of stuff and that as unrelated as it may seem is also a reason why it's so important to have strong-willed free thinking men who take hold of their destiny, become leaders in their communities, right? Become pillars of free thought and fight back. And so that's why, man, just, just to, in a nutshell, yeah. Yeah, yeah again, I'm with you, man. And yeah, we need we need strong, resilient, capable men who are willing to push against the narrative of society that doesn't yeah. that doesn't favor us as men as as this generation. And it's our responsibility to break this pattern before it does transfer onto the next generation and so on and so forth. And that gives the men of today a huge amount of responsibility. It does. It absolutely does. And look, one thing I would add to that, what I just said, is that also I think a very important trait is to be open-minded and not demonize the other side immediately. Like these things aren't mutually exclusive. So I also see a lot of people who they've been so ideologically captured that they won't even have a conversation with someone who disagrees with them. Now, if you're listening to this and you believe that masks are effective and you, the vaccine and all the boosters and, and all of that is a good idea, then I don't hate you. All I'm saying is we have to be open to a conversation about these things. I present my evidence, you present your evidence. We don't vilify one another. And and so it's really just sort of a, a beckoning for rational thought and discourse. And that used to be something that men represented and were proud of. And now it's, it's quite the opposite. So I just wanted to add that because I think it's important to mention that because I, I don't want people thinking that I'm, I'm, uh, 
so I get hate from the right and left because I, I always call it like I see it. And I, I, I don't want this to seem like it's a political thing. It's not that it's just the, the moment you can't question something or be critical of a particular person, you know, that your things aren't happening in good faith. That's all like mm -hmm. just, yeah. So I just wanted to make that clear. Ter terrified of being wrong, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and people are so invested now where it's mm -hmm. like, they've been, I mean, you heard it all brother the people who aren't vaccinated don't deserve medical care people who aren't vaccinated are dirty filthy etc and now you know we have this issue of athletes having sudden cardiac episodes and falling out mid-play i'm not even saying it's a result of the vaccine i'm saying we have to be able to talk about it and say all right why is this happening if it but it's immediately silenced. You're immediately called a conspiracy theorist. And it's like, look, dude, this used to happen to about 20 people a year, historically. In the past two years, there have been, like, I think, like almost 1,300. This is a big deal. And if it's not this vaccine, it it's something. So we have to find out what it is. But the moment you say you can't even talk about these things, that's a big problem. And it, I think... It's up to men and women, but especially men, to stand up for what they believe ideologically and to stand up for logic and reason. And I've seen more women the past couple of years be vocal about a lot of these issues than men. And I think a lot of it is because they have the maternal instinct to protect their children, you know, and, and so they're they're standing up while their husband or the father of their kids is cowering in the corner like a little bitch. And that's not the way it should be, man. Mm. Interesting. For, for my colorful yeah. language there. No, no. <clears throat> I love a bit of colorful language. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, 1300, man, that's staggering. I, I, I didn't I didn't know that. So yeah, there's there's definitely something at play there, but it's almost, yeah, and, almost and been knows? ignored. Yeah. Who yeah. knows what it is? I'm. It, it is what it is. This is happening. We have to investigate it. And I think... To tie into what you said, the fear of being wrong. So many people who were vehemently pro-vaccine don't even want this issue investigated for fear of it being a result of the vaccine. And it's like that is that is terrifying once you start going down that road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe we should avoid that road right now. <laughs> I, that's that's what but, I'm trying. But on, it man. is, yeah, it is. It's definitely worth exploring, man. And uh so tell us about the uh, whole man initiative and what that's about and where men of today can find you and, and learn more about this. Yeah. So it's basically, uh, like I said, brand new, it's in its infancy. It's an online community. There are a couple of aspects to it. There's uh, coaching, there's community. Um, and then, um, there is, uh, going to be in-person events, networking events, et cetera, but the concept of the whole man is basically being a man who has strengths and proficiency and targets in multiple key areas of life, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, finance and business, relationships, being not just jacked with abs, but also being a responsible steward of your finances and your business, and also being 
a, an emotionally vulnerable spouse to your significant other and to your children. So being able to wear multiple hats and be whole as a man, I think is extremely important. And, and we have a lot of sort of forces that are harnessing this despair in men today that I think cultivate some aspects of that and, and don't cultivate others. You know, a great example is Andrew Tate, who is, I love a lot of what the guy says, but I also dislike some of what the guy says, especially in the context of being a family man, being a husband, et cetera. And so this is for those men who want to be, you know, emotionally mature, who want to be physically their best, dangerous physically, going to live a long life, can keep up with their kids, can defend, protect their property and their family, and um, spiritually are are in touch with whatever beckons them spiritually, right? And, and you know, personally myself, man, I thought I had sort of achieved a certain level of success, which of course is a relative term, the family, the business, the, you know, I, I'm in decent shape, et cetera. And I kept feeling empty. And for me, it was going on a spiritual journey. So Gavin, I, I was 35 and I had never gone to church in my life. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's what people need per se, but whether it's meditation, religion, et cetera, you need to feed that part of your being as well. And I had neglected it largely because I came from a science background and that was sort of the narrative that was pushed, right? Like religion is this thing we used to do to try to explain the world. And now we have science when in fact, totally different things. And and so I myself have gone on a journey in terms of developing holistically. And so that's, that's in a nutshell what it is. So there are monthly master classes. So the, like, for example, the first couple are you know, uh, testosterone 101, how to increase it naturally, what's TRT, all these different things dealing with testosterone. It's what it does in our bodies. The next month is, is, uh, the six principles, which is essentially this framework that I impose on simplifying fitness for people who are overwhelmed. Right. So it's, it's calories, protein, water, cardio, weight, sleep, like literally focus on those things, start there. You'll be good. I promise. Mm -hmm. So talking about every aspect of that and so on and so forth. And then monthly coaching calls, 90 day target setting, having guest speakers, like I said, the online community. So there's a forum where people can share information and wins, et cetera. And my hope is that we can build men up through camaraderie and education to where they are speaking up in their community, being better men for their families, standing up against some of these pernicious narratives that are, that are forced on us and, and um, resuming that place in the yeah. world. Yeah. Men need men and men need to be part of a tribe, isn't it? So absolutely brother. You're bringing that, yeah. bringing that to the forefront. Yeah. And uh, again, I'm right there with you. So where can these men find you? Where's the best place to get you at? Oh gosh. I'm uh, on all the platforms. Most of them, Twitter, Instagram, um, TikTok, it's I am Dave Hurt. So at I am Dave Hurt. Uh, the podcast is Free Mind with Dave Hurt. If you if you just search Dave Hurt on YouTube, you can find me there. Uh, I try to be everywhere and try to put out content pretty consistently. But uh, yeah, man, that's it. And if, uh, if you're interested in any of the apparel or whatever, that company is Just Work. 
So justworkco.com. Brilliant. Um, yeah, or wholemaninitiative.com. Nice one. Well, I'll add all those well. links down below in the show notes, so go check them out. And uh, Dave, man, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for your time and your energy and yeah. for the good work you do. Yeah, of course, brother. And look, I, I know I can be long-winded with some of this stuff. No, uh, I would love to have you on my show. Um, I feel like we could t- probably talk for hours, so I definitely want to continue this conversation. I have a lot of questions a- about you that I, that I want to find out, so yeah. um, I'm looking forward to that. Definitely, man. Well, likewise, man. So let's make it happen. Until, until next time. Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.